Hello and welcome to Community Topics number two. I am everything, identifying as Andrew. I am nothing, identifying as Ray. So between the two of us, we're everything and nothing and just playing identification for the fun of it, I guess. I'm down with that. I like identification at the end of the day, as long as I don't take it too seriously, it tends to be a great tool for experience. So we'll leave it at that. But uh, I'm excited. This is Community Topics number two. The first Community Topics episode I thought went really, really well. We managed to get some depth in there. We managed to explore a few things that we haven't explored before. This week, we have one topic that is the absolute clear winner of this week's vote. And that topic is how to question your beliefs and opinions as they come up in your day-to-day life. So this is more or less going to be a discussion on applicability than anything else, because we've talked about why it's important to question your assumptions and why it's important to question your opinions and your beliefs and why it's important to question. So we know all of that, but how do you do it when you are knee-deep in attachment to, to a perception that you don't know you are attached to? How can you bring yourself about to a state of vulnerable awareness where you're once again re-establishing understanding almost for the first time in the here and now instead of relying on a previous understanding or a previous misconception even that just happens to be familiar and comfortable what are your thoughts andrew yeah so when i first saw this one come up because we finish off the vote like right before the episode starts so we don't really have time to like prep beforehand uh but i kind of i kind of like it like that sometimes so when i first saw it how to question your beliefs and opinions as they come up. I thought of it like, well, what do you mean by how? Like it's, I felt like it was along the lines of how do you breathe or how do you walk a mile? It's like one step in front of the other. It's like, uh, well, you, you do it. You, you question them as they come up. And I know that's like, uh, I almost compare it to like in baseball, for example, a, a good hitter, not a comparison, but just how I initially thought of it, like a good hitter when they're asked like, how do you hit so well? And like, sometimes they don't always know. And, but with this, I think now that I've had some time to like digest it, I think it's, it's just important initially to recognize that no matter what comes up, it's never the truth because I think for a while people get caught up before they, you know, recognize it more clearly. They think that parts are the truth. Like they still think that some of it is the truth. And I think it's just important to always keep in mind that none of it ever is. But I think in terms of the applicability, something for me that that's helped, and I've talked about it many times is the recognition that my past is not what I am like letting go of having a past even sometimes is like taking it to that extent for me helps. It's not necessarily that it helps everyone. I post videos about it. It triggers the fuck out of a lot of people, to be honest, because a lot of people cling to that. But for me, I think a lot of my identity and and worries and fears stem from things that have happened in the past, afraid they're going to happen in the future. So recognizing that I'm literally born anew in every single moment, born again in every single moment, fresh perspective, no past whatsoever, simply aware of the experience that is here and now. And when you are able to recognize that more clearly all of those beliefs that you have about yourself and reality are rooted in the past. They come from the past that you bring into your reality now. So being able to let go of that has helped me. So just to kick things off, that's like something that's helped me a lot with this. And as 
you know, the experience that woke me up basically. Um, but yeah, I'm sure others will come up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's one of those, uh, infinite Swiss army knives when it comes down to it. Like there's numerous different ways to question yourself, but it really just comes down to having the priority to do so. And usually that priority comes from consequence. That priority comes from experience, or it might just come from a moment of insight where you recognize what you're doing and you see the value of questioning it. But I think one of the things that helps me, or one of the things that has helped me the most over the years has been the recognition that I always have a reason to hold on to an assumption. I always have a reason to hold on to uh, an opinion or an, an idea or a concept. And that reason is almost always the same. It makes me feel better. So when I'm going through my day-to-day life, I'm on watch, or at least I used to be largely on watch for when I was trying to feel better, when I was holding on to something just for the sake of thinking that I knew what was going to happen next, or when I was holding on to a perception just for the sake of feeling like I knew what someone thought of me or what was, uh, or what was, as opposed to not being sure what is, because that, that's a very important distinction to recognize that you can have a really good feel for what's going to happen in your reality. And you can adapt to it and you can make it work and all of that. And then after the fact, realize that you completely misinterpreted everything that was happening. And the experience that you had was overlaid over the experience that was actually happening the entire time. And all of a sudden, the entire experience is questionable now. Now you can look back at it in a different light and go, huh, that's not what I thought was happening. What else was I missing? And the more you do that, the more you start to recognize you're always missing things. You're always missing something. You're always missing somebody's tone or you're always missing something that's happening in the background or there's just too many elements in a situation for you to monitor or or keep track of all the time. And so the more you just recognize, I never know. I never know everything. And I can't know everything. Well, the more you're willing to question things because you see that in doing so, you get a bigger picture. You get a a wider perspective of the whole field. And that's kind of why I enjoy like Sun Tzu's art of war. Like a a plan is only good until the first thing goes wrong. That's a really good insight to hold on to because it reminds you that as much as you can be very clever and as much as you can feel like you have numerous contingencies for anything that might happen, there's always something that you're not going to see happening. And in that moment, it's your ability to dance in the here and now that's going to determine how things go. It's not going to be how certain you feel so much as how present you are with what is happening as you go from moment to moment. And that's very different than feeling like you know. There's a very big difference between going whitewater rafting with the map in your head and thinking, yeah, I know everything that's gonna happen as opposed to whitewater rafting and being in the ripple of each and every wave and the ripple of each and every bounce and being able to actually feel the rafting ride as it's happening. That isn't certainty, but it certainly is influence. So given that certainty always limits influence, a good way to keep yourself in the habit of questioning yourself is to recognize that every time you don't, you are losing influence over your life. Yeah. Absolutely. I think not knowing period is one of the most helpful things to keep in mind at all times. And it's not only like, I feel like there's an initial sort of level of not knowing what the future will hold, but then there's almost a secondary or not 
I always say levels. I mean, more so like layers, I guess. So there's an initial layer where you don't actually know what's going to happen in the future, but there's a secondary layer where you don't know what's going to happen. And you also don't know what that will lead to and what the outcome, what the best quote unquote best outcome actually is. So you think of a situation that you're, you're worried about, you have an assumption about it. You have a belief about yourself that leads you to thinking that this potential scenario may happen. It's going to go terribly and all these things, but one, you don't know what's actually going to happen. And two, you don't actually know what a terrible outcome is. You don't actually know what a great outcome is. So you don't know either of those things. And for me, it's, it's almost more helpful to keep in mind because it's easier for me to see that I don't know what's going to happen, but then I still have oftentimes an idea of what a better outcome is and what a worse outcome is. And it's like, I don't know which one's going to happen, but I know this is this. And I know this is this and like, let's find out. But it's also the thing that I think is better could be worse. And the thing I think the thing I think is worse could be better. So that uncertainty is just, it's just helpful for me to keep in mind because there isn't so much for you to worry about when you really see the truth of that. And so it helps keeping in mind that that sort of sensitivity to reality and seeing it as it comes and seeing that there have been situations in your life, as much as I said just now, like don't, you know, imagining the past doesn't exist or, or not clinging to the past can be helpful, but there are opportunities where you can look back on your life and see situations where you thought going into it, oh, this is going to be terrible. Or I thought this was terrible as I was going through it. And then it led to something that was one of the best things that ever happened to you or a very beneficial event. And so you had this assumption that it was terrible as you were going through it, you were assuming it was terrible. So as you can see more and more often that you don't know where things are going to lead and everything is miraculously uncertain. Life is uncertainty and that is what gives it its beauty. And we talked about this in the last episode that the beauty of life is in the uncertainty. Life would suck ass if it wasn't uncertain. If life was certain, it wouldn't be worth living. That's what it comes down to. So our assumptions and beliefs, recognizing that they're never the truth, they're never certain. We have no idea what will come in five minutes tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. That's what gives it its beauty. And when you're there for it to find out, that's when you're fully living and, and fully experiencing and, and able to experience that sensitivity to reality and, and really move with the flow of the river, for example, like Ray was just mentioning. But we have to come to a point where we're willing to do it. And that's the problem with the question. How do I question? If you want to, you will, right? If you see the priority, you will. If you've experienced the benefit, you will. And if you haven't, or you don't, then you're going to go in the opposite direction. And eventually, if you pay attention, you're going to start noticing the consequences that are going to make you want to ask questions. Because otherwise, stagnation is inevitable. Otherwise, that feeling of being locked in a box or a prison of your own making just continues to grow over time and it causes conflict with the rest of your life. And so the lesson is always in front of us. The lesson about the importance of questioning our assumptions is always in front of us. It's just whether or not we have the courage to look at it and take that leap to see what it is that we're not 
already seeing, to see what it is that we're blinding ourselves to just because we're holding on to what we think is familiar or what feels better. And so it really is just a matter of continuing on until you recognize that questioning is not only an option, it's a way for you to clear the slate. It's a way for you to get rid of the confusion, to get rid of the distortion. Questioning is the way for you to look at the perception of the world that you're experiencing and then remove the consequence from it by recognizing where it comes from. But if you don't question things, then you're always just gonna accept them for what they are or you're gonna accept them for how they appear. And largely that's just, I don't wanna say it's a result of laziness, but it is certainly a result of being afraid and not wanting to face that fear not wanting to face the reality of uncertainty. You just wanna hold on to the illusion of certainty, the illusion that you know what is in a conceptual way, which is unfortunately always superficial and will always lead back to that, that conflict with reality. Because if we're only living in concepts, then it's only a matter of time before you run across somebody else who has completely different concepts than you. And they're so attached to them in the same way that you're attached to them that you just can't get along or see eye to eye or grow at all from the experience until you start questioning one of your assumptions, one of your concepts, right? That's the wonderful thing about meeting people who are very different from you. If you have the courage and the empathy to do it, you can let down your perspective and try and figure out how their perspective seems so valid to them. And in that, you'll have a moment of reason and a moment of insight and your perspective will suddenly give way to a new one. And it's because you had the patience to give it some space to grow and change into something else. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like what you said about the priority as well, because this was something actually that was helping me right before I woke up. It was like one of the last things, something I sort of cling to, but it was helpful. I made a podcast and in, in my own podcast episode about it, this idea of ultimate priorities. And my ultimate priority was like being present. And it was like the two I talked about were like being present and reducing stress or something. And so when it was like the way I was thinking about it was no matter what situation I was in, the priority was maintain presence and minimize stress. And it is very applicable to, you know, anyone in any sort of mentality. And it goes as far as the way I would, I would think about it was even for something I would get, you know, worked up or, or stressed about something at work. I had this project coming up and typically I would ju just get very stressed about it. And it went so far as my priority wasn't even to do well on the project. It wasn't even to do a good job at work as crazy as, as that seems, because that's where, you know, we drive our income and, and paychecks and stuff. It was like, you, you got to be willing to put presence and lack of stress ahead of doing well at work, ahead of getting friends, ahead of finding a spouse, ahead of making a ton of money, ahead of all of those things that we deem like peak sort of things, peak status points in our human experience. And you have to go as far as that. Like it has to be, and that's what it comes back to when we talk about like it, it it has to be for you. Like you have to be your priority at all times. Cause if you're not, if you're letting that go, then you're not going to be much help to anyone else. You're going to be trying to help from a, from an empty cup as opposed to an overflowing cup. And so that project that you're working on doing it 
when you're super stressed out. And it's not to say that stress doesn't arise. It doesn't happen. Like it absolutely does. And, and there are times and places for it. You know, sometimes when you're, when you're amped up, when your adrenaline's going, like you can work even, even better. So it's not to say like avoid at all costs, but for the most part, it's maintaining that sense of I'm here now, this is the step that I'm on. I'm more concerned with my levels of stress than even doing a good job on this project or presentation or whatever it may be. And, and you have to go as far as letting that go above even all of those, those, you know, seeming pinnacles of success, be it love, wealth, fame, all of it, like that has to be your priority. And if it isn't, then you're not going to, you're just not going to prioritize it. And then, so when it comes to how do you question those things, if you don't see it as a priority, because you see other things above questioning and, and maintaining, you know, peace or not letting things get in the way of that, it's going to fall by the wayside inevitably. So it has to be that, that priority. Otherwise it'll be easy to stop questioning because it feels better sometimes not to, and other people will be patting you on the back and saying, what a great job you did, et cetera, et cetera. So it has to be a priority for you. And once it is, things sort of fall into place and it gets a lot easier. Man, that's so true because it, it really does have to be its own single underlying priority far above any of the other little things that you might benefit from along the path of following that priority. Like I've seen so many people backslide over the years because they see questioning as a strategy to get to other things. Like if I question, I'll be able to meet a better uh, partner. If I question, I'll be able to get a better job. Or if I question, I'll be able to get rid of my anxiety. And so because they're focused on the consequence and using questioning as a, as a solution to mitigate that consequence, that's great. That works for a little while until they stop questioning because the consequence disappeared. That one individual consequence, they don't see how the undercurrent of questioning applies to everything in your life over time. It was just committing to questioning as a strategy for this one aspect of their existence. And so it didn't last and it never does because questioning itself or, or the embracing of uncertainty is a dominant path in our life because the alternative is clinging to false certainty. And that's really it. When we talk about the two directions towards or away from yourself, from yourself, it really is towards the illusion of certainty versus the reality of uncertainty. Right. And so, yeah, it's really interesting when you, when you think about it that way, because it's really not about anything other than just accepting that you're never really certain. And if you can accept that and make that the pinnacle of the journey, like if you can just make that foundational understanding that you're never certain the point, then you'll always learn how to adapt to it. It's kind of like what I was thinking about this the other day. I was saying that uh, the more time you spend in uncertainty, the less reason you have to fear the unknown. And it's because you're living in it, right? You embrace it as reality itself. And so you become a part of uncertainty in action. And after a while that learns to, you learn to feel perfectly normal and at ease in doing so, but you have to live there for a while. I had somebody on TikTok ask me like, how are you so good at describing these things? And I said, I spent a lot of time being uncertain. That's pretty much it. That's the answer to everything. Like the more time I, the more time I spend in uncertainty, the more opportunity I have 
to witness the insights that are there in the things that aren't familiar to me, right? But as long as I'm clinging to the, to the familiar, as long as I'm clinging to what I think I know, I'm always just going to live within that very tiny box. And that is exactly what Krishnamurti was saying about the difference between the known and the unknown. Like we, we keep trying to think about the unknown, but in thinking, we are immediately using the known. So we can't get to the unknown through thought because thought is the known. That's the problem, right? So we have to abandon our belief in thought as a measure of truth in order to recognize what truth actually is, which is not thought. Yeah, it's like we're trying to know the unknown through thought because we think it is something that can be known because we think we are something that can be known. And it all comes back to that. It's so hard to exist in uncertainty when you have this false sense of certainty about what you are. Like that's, and, and so when you let go of that, when you let go of knowing what you are or having some semblance of certainty about what you are, it becomes a lot easier to recognize the uncertainty in reality. It becomes a lot easier to question everything else. But until you question yourself, until you question the idea of you, it's very difficult to, for that, it's like you are the root and then reality is, you know, sprouts out of it. It's hard to question the branches when you're not questioning the roots, when you're not questioning the trunk, because you're, you're going outside being a thing that's certain when all of the branches, like everything exists inside of your mind. So how could you question everything outside when you're not questioning, you know, outside, inside, outside, per perceptively outside, how can you question that when you haven't even questioned the idea of you, because that's the root of our confusion. That's what, where all, all of our suffering is derived from. And I wanted to go back to, um, you mentioned it, it's gotta be for you and doing things and trying to be at peace in order to, you know, get more money or having quite a quieter mind to be better at your job. It's like, it can't be for something. And it's the same with, with meditation. Like this was something I couldn't understand that um, Alan Watts was saying for so long, basically until, you know, within the past year, there was so much that Alan Watts said that I didn't understand, but I still listened to it. I was like, I feel like it sounds cool, but I don't really know what he's saying because I was always in the way. My idea of myself was always in the way. Like, what, what does he mean? Like nature and, and me, or there is no division whatsoever. And, and the thing that he would talk about was with meditation, like meditation can't be for you to be a better meditator or to be better at this or that meditation. The point of meditation is the meditation. I was like, well, then what the fuck's the point of that? Like, why would I do that? If I am not improving myself, if I'm not getting better, if I'm not, you know, doing this and that, and it's because as long as you're building up the idea of yourself through meditation, you're missing the entire fucking point. You're missing all of it. And I made a video yesterday about my, the, the one, uh, my, the biggest mis misconception I see with the self-help industry is thinking that there's a self to help thinking there's a you to fix. And that's what it comes down to. Like that is the root of all the confusion in the fucking name. And I think we've mentioned this in an episode in the past that self-help is the funniest fucking phrase ever because there's no self to help. And as long as you think there is a self to help, 
you're going to keep thinking there's something that needs helping and you're going to keep exacerbating your suffering. So long story short, it comes back to you. And when you're able to let go of the false sense of certainty you have about what you think you are, which for so many people, even though it's a negative idea of themselves, they'd rather have a false sense of certainty or some semblance of certainty about that negative idea than be uncertain about it. But reality is uncertainty. So as long as you think you're certain, it's going to be much, much difficult, much, much more difficult to question the reality, to question your belief. So it almost has to start with questioning yourself. And from there, it all makes a whole lot more sense. That was really well said. And I would say that the entire enchilada is questioning yourself because what you said there about the reality we experience is largely dependent on our perception of ourselves. So everything that we interact with in the world right now is largely based on the perception that we are humans made of meat, separate from one another, separate from the world and interacting on the world in that way. And so we have government and institutions that are all based upon that perception. They're all based upon that perception. Our, our, um, our mental health industry is based on that perception as we were discussing in the last round table. That self-image, that limited self-view as being a puppet made of meat as opposed to the universe's awareness changes how we interact with people. It changes how we deal with certain mental illnesses. It changes how we deal with the entire experience of being because we're not just being, we're being human, right? And that, that has certain um, implications. That has certain rules and strategies and limitations and things that we have to consider and all that other stuff. And so it's so very interesting that as soon as I'm willing to question my humanity, or I'm willing to question what I perceive to be the outside uh, edges of this experience, how I perceive the world changes, how I perceive the interactions I have change, how I perceive the relationships and, and what's happening there changes entirely. It stops being about me and someone else and it starts just being about what is in flow with one another. So yeah, questioning yourself is the absolute best thing that you can do. Question everything about yourself, including everything you think that you know. And I'm going to venture quickly into the second topic here because it's tied into what we're talking about because the entire, so the subject of artificial intelligence is very interesting, but you can see how it's swayed by our view of ourself in terms of how we view intelligence. We view intelligence as something that is, is built upon, something that you have to build up to get to intelligence, right? But our experience isn't that at all. Intelligence is what is. Reality is intelligence. We know that from that slime mold that we were discussing in season one. If a mold, given time, can learn how to distribute resources amongst itself and create more and more complex uh, ways of living, that's evidence that intelligence is just reality. So when we're looking at artificial intelligence, we keep thinking about it in terms of like building a robot or building a brain that's capable of thinking about itself. But we're not in any way thinking about how can we simply develop a vessel capable of embodying the intelligence that reality already is, right? Because we know biologically intelligence manifests, that's life. But the trick is switching it to the synthetic, right? How do we get the synthetic to become more fluid? How do we get the synthetic to adapt with reality when it's just a metal? And if we did that, would intelligence start to manifest on its own? And is that how artificial intelligence, quote unquote, will come to be? Or 
are we always going to be running in circles because of the way we think about our own intellect, trying to create something that's more and more like we think our most intelligent self would be? Because that's often what we see in terms of robotics and artificial intelligence. We see these advanced attempts to make like super uh, intelligent and aware beings that know everything that might, could possibly be on the internet, but that's not intelligence, that's knowledge. That's concepts again, right? So what we're really talking about in, in, in terms of intelligence is the ability to be aligned in the moment as the observer and the observed to be able to have that relationship and be aware of oneself. And I don't think that's something that we can build. I think that that's something that we can learn to allow. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, it, it almost makes me think of the phrasing being off the way you just described it. It's not artificial intelligence, it's artificial knowledge, right? And it makes me wonder if we are, with our current mentality, kind of becoming that artificial knowledge, that artificial intelligence, like so much of our existence is pro, I don't love the word programmed, but it's conditioned into us. And so many, like we know that the subconscious dictates a lot of our life. And it seems like we're, we're getting further and further from being that intelligence and, and getting closer and closer to being just like knowledge suits. And because that's what we think intelligence is, we think we don't think that we are inherently the eternal intelligence of reality. Like we don't, we we've, you know, forgotten or gotten so caught up in the illusion of, of duality that we don't see it in that way anymore. But yeah, we think of intelligence as knowledge, as opposed to just what's left when there aren't any more concepts and recognizing that it's all within us already, like the entire universe exists inside of your mind. So to think that you don't know everything already is kind of funny. And it's interesting thinking about artificial intelligence and the way that people think about it. It's all derived based on the way that we think of ourselves. It's all derived from human as, as you were just mentioning. So yeah, it's a very interesting topic, but I'm curious too. This just is something I just thought of because sometimes people will ask like, Oh, you know, if, if I'm God, why don't I know everything? And I'm starting to see more clearly and be able to recognize similar to might've been in the first episode when I was like, if I, you know, I just waved my hand, you didn't wave my hand. And you're like, well, oddly enough, I just did. Like, I did not know what the fuck you were talking about when, when you first said that. And now I do, because it just comes down to where you identify as you don't identify as that body. I was still identified as being this body. So when people ask, you know, if you're God, if, if you're the eternal intelligence of reality, how do you not know everything? It's well, I'm not this, I know everything, you know, and you know, everything I know, because I am you and I am reality itself. So everything that could be is known by me because I'm everything, whether I, whether I, but, but then I, I, I don't know, kind of still uh, struggle with that because I understand it comes down to what I identify as, but 
I can't just come up with a fact from, you know, 1720 out of nowhere, but at the same time, could I, if I wasn't limiting myself, like how much could I tap into if I let go similar to in the movie, Lucy, she's letting go more and more at the end. Won't give away the ending, but Ray's seen it. So he knows what I'm talking about that she is able to see all of that. So is it just that identity, that fucking identity getting in the way of my ability to tap into everything that's could possibly be known from a knowledge standpoint? I think so. I honestly do. And I think that that's why we have historical uh, anecdotal evidence of, of different seers and prophets and, and whatnot. Like Nostradamus was probably the best uh, example of that. That man had so many prophecies that were uncanny in terms of how close they were to being the truth. Like uh, when he predicted Hitler and the only difference was in how he spelled it, it was Hister in his prophecy, right? Or the, uh, the sinking of the Titan, the largest ship in the world which happened to be the Titanic. So you can, and this was long before any of that happened, right? And so you have to ask yourself, and again, you're talking about esoteric knowledge. You're talking about things that we have not experimented with in probably thousands of years because of our devotion to control and because of our devotion to identity and empire building and all that other stuff. But I wouldn't say it's impossible. I would say that we are just starting to scratch the surface of exactly how much we do have access to. But in terms of that question of, okay, if I'm God, why don't I know everything? I think it's important to recognize exactly how big that question is. Like when we're talking about knowing everything, that means being everything. It's not conceptual knowledge, right? Like if, if you were like, you were at, you gave the example of, well, maybe I could just pull a stat out of the 1700s and, and know it for truth. It's like, right. Which universe, which timeline, which version of this? Right, because it's all in the here and now. It's all you. It's all what is, and and we are so wrapped up in this individual perspective of this current universe and timeline and 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 individuality and species and everything else that we cut ourselves off from all of that, largely because again of our self-image, the way we see ourselves and the limitations that we impose upon ourselves. But the more we let that go, the more we start to access. I don't want to say memories or imagination, but the more we can access the, the vast spectrum of what we can access in terms of experience. You can call it imagination or dreams or anything else, but the fact is, is that whatever it is you're experiencing in terms of your consciousness is everything. It has everything within it. It's just that you're not spending the time to explore it because we're so busy in the world around us that we view as separate and we're afraid of and so on and so forth. But if we didn't have that fear, if we did spend the time to develop this mentality over time collectively and actually start to reprioritize our connection to the moment, what we do have the capacity to do in terms of like astral projection or in terms of, of being able to see the future or access things from other timelines entirely. I mean, look at Nikola Tesla. He very much felt that he was inspired by these ideas, that they were coming to him. He didn't take credit for them. Well, where were they coming from, if not from possible other universes where that technology was in flow or was being used, right? So we're always accessing 
the possibilities of what is. We're always bringing new things into reality based from uh, or from the potential of what could be. We call it an invention, right? But we don't credit ourselves as reaching through time and space to a reality where that exists and pulling it here and then reforming it or, or then rebuilding it so it exists here as well. We just call it having an idea, right? But it's not having an idea, it's accessing something that was already in there, which is why you have numerous different areas of the world where completely separately and completely independently, they all started building pyramids around the same period of time, right? It's not like they were in communication with one another. It's just that that, that idea was there and it surfaced and it surfaced, surfaced in a number of different places. Nobody had the idea, but it already existed. Did it exist from another reality, from another timeline, from another universe? Does it exist in all of those timelines and universes? Who knows? I have no idea where the, the entirety of our creative ability comes from, except from creation itself. That's it. It's crazy how limited of an idea we have of intelligence. <clears throat> and it's like, we're so caught up in thinking that we're the peak of intelligence that we're moving on to something like artificial intelligence. And we're like, oh, this is the next step. It's like, we haven't even tapped into probably a percent of a percent of what we could possibly do here, what we could possibly tap into. And we're trying to get into, you know, artificial intelligence. It's like, we haven't even touched intelligence and we're jumping to artificial intelligence. It's like, oh man, like our potential capabilities are insane. And they've, you know, Nostradamus, I don't know much about him, but that type of stuff is nuts. And it's like, we, it's fascinating how much we write those things off similar to, similar to imagination, how much it's like this crazy ass thing. And we're just like, oh, it's just the imagination. Oh, it's, you know, I'm just human. I'm just existing on earth. It's like, we, we see the pictures of space. Like we, we see that stuff and we're like, oh yeah, I don't want to think about that. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. It's like the vastness of that, our ability, even, even some of the capabilities we can tap into is it's nutty. It's wild to be able to have this, this limited of an experience is still crazy. And yet it's like, because we don't want to question because it makes us uncomfortable we aren't able to tap in. We're like, nah, I'm comfortable here. I'm going to, I'm going to settle here. It's like, even for the spiritual gurus and, and teachers out there, like the new age stuff with, you know, on TikTok and everything. And like those people, they settle because it's like, they start seeing success. They start making some money. They start doing whatever. And they get comfortable at a place where, you know, it's probably, like I said before, tapping into the truth of our intelligence, we're at a percent of a percent of a percent. It's like they're, they're settling at this level because our peak is so low relative to the reality of what we could be, but you have to be willing to let go of all of the other things that, that bring us that false sense of comfort because we lack faith in ourselves is what it comes down to for so much of it. And so it's very interesting that with artificial intelligence, we're so focused on that. And we're, we're skipping over the potential that we have within us here and now. And 
that's way more exciting to me than any fucking robots out there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But the problem is, and this is where the spiritual TikTok community is unfortunately presented another roadblock for itself is that you start looking at the potential for consciousness or awareness or, or alignment as unity. And then you start entertaining these ideas of being able to say, see the future or move things uh, as a result of recognizing your connection to them or any number of quote unquote superpowers. And then you have all of the egotistical spiritual crowd that comes out of the woodwork going, yeah, superpowers, we're all getting superpowers. And, and immediately they're reinforcing that ego that cuts them off from that potential. Immediately they're looking for that sense of control and that sense of superiority and that sense that they're going to be more now than they ever were before. And it immediately takes them away from the process of abandoning themselves and getting out of the way. So that way they can actually potentially start developing sensitivity and what we are commonly referred to as superpowers. They're not superpowers, like telepathy. A lot of times we'll look at telepathy and we'll go, oh, wow, if we could develop telepathy, that would be an incredible superpower. But telepathy is already happening all the time. We are already interacting with one another's awareness. It's just that we ignore it and cover it up with, with words and vibrations of sound and, and mannerisms and all that because it gives us the illusion that we can lie to ourselves. Right? And so we cling to that because it's easier to do and live superficially than to abandon our walls, abandon our guilt, abandon our fear of judgment and actually just be one with everything, right? And so it, it's really interesting. I got to ask a question before we, we wrap up this episode because this has been a really interesting conversation for sure. Um, have you ever run across Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I have not, no, it's on my book list from you and my notes, yeah. Awesome. I'm going to ruin something for you, but it's not a significant part of the story necessarily. You'll probably forget it by the time you get through chapter one or two. But what's interesting is that at one point, this advanced civilization in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy decided that it wanted to know the answer to the ultimate question about life, the universe, and everything. And so they created the most advanced computer possible on their planet. And it spent hundreds of years or thousands of years, literally their whole species had to evolve while this thing was processing the answer to the most important question about life, the universe and everything. And finally, it's coming up to the date where they're gonna announce the, the answer to the ultimate question. And the answer is 42. And they're all like, what? What is that all about? And the computer says, while I am the most intelligent computer that exists currently, I am not intelligent enough to actually come up with the ultimate question, just the ultimate answer, right? And so as a solution, that computer designs a new computer, a bigger computer, something that is so complex that it would be able to, after a long period of time and evolution, come up with the ultimate question about life, the universe and everything. And what's interesting is that that computer is Earth. Damn, that is... Very interesting. There's a lot there. Holy shit. Yeah. But I mean, that goes along with what we're talking about, like trying to create intelligence and everyone clinging to the idea of superpowers that I'm going to have superpowers and I'm going to get this and I'm going to, you know, create artificial intelligence. And it's all relative to me, you know, just like we were talking about in the first topic, you know, questioning our beliefs. It, it, has to start with you and once you question the idea of yourself and let go of that 
this whole conversation, this entire podcast makes a whole lot more sense. But as long as you're in the way, it's going to be a lot more difficult to question reality itself when you feel like you have some sense of certainty of yourself. Absolutely. You have to let go of the false sense of certainty just to be able to experience more potential. That's all it is. It's just about embodying potential, which means surrendering limitation and limitation and certainty are exactly the same thing. That's the problem, right? If you're certain that you have a limitation, you're never going to push beyond it. You have to question that certainty in order to see what you're capable of. And on that note, I think we're going to end this episode here. This has been so much fun. Community Topics number two is a huge success. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Um, as always, we do our weekly chats on Patreon. If you have the chance to join us there, it's only $5 a month. It is by far the most valuable gem in all of our collection of content and, and releases and everything else in terms of giving you the ability to get involved with this conversation to actually ask us questions in real time and recognize that we really don't prepare, that we are always just being in the present with you. And that's the experience we're sharing with you. And whatever comes out of that is whatever comes out of that. And we'd love to share that with you if you can join us on a group, on a group chat next week or any week, really. And of course, if you can join us on the upcoming uh, retreat in November, we'd love to see you there as well. I have nothing to add, Andrew. Anything else? Now excited for next week's community topics because this is a awesome addition to the dualist community repertoire. And it's it's nice to be able to get everyone involved with the conversation and what we're talking about. Um, so yeah, thanks for tuning in. Looking forward to next week. Bye everyone.